0: This holiday season, please consider supporting the Cato Institute and specifically the Cato Daily Podcast. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. If you support Cato with a donation of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout out on the podcast, or you can designate someone else to receive that benefit and all of the benefits of being a Cato sponsor. That website again, cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you for your generosity. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 7th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. For decades, the United States has followed a familiar pattern when it came to alleviating poverty, more government programs spending ever-larger sums of money. In his new book, The Inclusive Economy, Cato's senior fellow Michael Tanner provides a detailed roadmap of a new anti-poverty policy. The book is available now.
1: I think the traditional viewpoint on libertarians and poverty is that libertarians are indifferent at best and outright hostile to the poor at worst, but uh, that doesn't really reflect libertarian policies. Uh, The fact is that our proposals in many cases are the best things that could happen to low-income individuals. We can free them up in order to be full participants in a growing economy, and that will lift far more people out of poverty than government programs. The problem has largely been in terms of our rhetoric, which has been sort of poor blaming or
0: poor shaming, and this book attempts to correct that. Give me a sense of where this, in a sense, dead capital, dead human capital is just left lying there, unable to express itself and earn returns for the people who possess it?
1: Well, we need to look at things like our criminal justice system, which uh, penalizes people of color, penalizes low-income individuals, uh, often traps them in ways that makes it difficult for them to become participants in the economy later on. If you get a felony record uh, when you're 21, for example, it's still difficult for you to get a job when you're 30 or 40, because that's on your record forever. Uh, That makes you poor marriage material for women in low-income areas, and that leads to more children being born outside of marriage with all the problems that that creates. So what you're doing is seeing a cascading series of problems that stem from government policies. The same is true as of a failed education system, of zoning laws that price the poor out of housing, of regulatory barriers, and occupational licensing that prevents
0: the poor from starting business, and on and on and on. Well, let's start with a couple, take a couple of those things in turn. Uh, With respect to housing, I, 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 I suspect there are a lot of people who would hear that and say, well, zoning, what does that have to do with... Uh, the ability of people to find remunerative employment and have a reasonably successful life.
1: It's surprising what a big impact the housing costs, and particularly housing regulation, have on poverty. For example, in some cities, uh, New York City or San Francisco, for example, zoning laws can add 50% to the cost of housing, uh, pricing the poor out of the market completely. Even in other cities like Washington, DC. Or, or Dallas and Atlanta and so on, you can often end up with 20%, 30% increase in cost because of zoning laws. Well, high cost of housing, of course, first of all, consumes an enormous amount of income from people with low incomes who, who are... Lot of, not a lot of cash to spare. And if they're pouring it all into housing, there's money they can't put towards training or education for the kids and so on. It makes it more difficult for poor people to move to areas that have jobs. It makes it more difficult for them to move areas with better schools. Uh, it basically traps them in ghettos with all the problems that go with that.
0: And if you are able to secure uh, quality housing, there's a good chance it will lengthen your workday by hours and hours by virtue of the fact that this is where you can afford to live, even if the jobs are somewhere far away. It adds to the
1: transportation problems, which is both the cost and time and money uh, in terms of trying to get to jobs uh, that may be out there. And again, that leads to problems in some areas uh, in terms of having marriageable men and in terms of having uh, functioning communities.
0: Licensing dovetails with criminal justice in the sense that if you have a felony conviction, you are simply, in many states at least, you are simply unable to even apply to do certain jobs.
1: Well, occupational licensing is particularly perverse and particularly harmful for the the poor. We should understand that we're not talking necessarily about things like becoming a doctor. Uh, What we're talking about is 25 to 30% of all the jobs in America that require you to have a license. Things as simple as uh, being a, uh, a hair braider or uh, doing makeup or interior decorating. Uh, Being a funeral attendant requires a license. These are not exactly things that require uh, enormous amounts of skill uh, to, to undertake. They're the type of entry level jobs that a poor person with minimal education can get in on. Uh, but we require that they take long periods of uh, education and testing uh, that are very expensive in terms of time and money. They often have to travel great distances to find places where they can test for the, for these jobs. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, if you're a felon, uh, you often are not eligible to have uh, this job, this license in the first place.
0: So, with respect to uh, helping low-income people, the traditional solutions uh, that are offered, you know, by you know, typically uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill or people who are very concerned about uh, the size of government, not in the way you and I are concerned about the size of government, but they want to create bureaucracies that will achieve these ends. And the focus is we just got to get these people's cash incomes up the best way to do that is to write checks. One of the things I do in this
1: book is look at the reasons why people are poor. And I think that both the left and right have gotten it wrong for years. The right is largely engaged in victim blaming and suggesting that the poor are poor because of their bad decisions, because of a bad culture uh, of poverty, that they're just making too many mistakes in their life and that's their own fault that they're poor. They haven't pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. The left, on the other hand, has suggested that we simply don't spend enough money, despite the fact that we have More than a hundred federal uh, anti-poverty programs. Uh, we spend seven hundred billion dollars at the federal level, and another three hundred billion at the state level. They suggest that all we need is a few more programs and a little more money, and we can you know, we can solve the problems. I think that uh, both the left and right have been wrong about this.
0: There have to be some truths in both stories. Sure, both are partially true. I mean, you can't
1: uh, rob the poor of agency and pretend they're simply chaff blown by the wind, uh, that their decisions don't matter, that incentives don't matter, of course they do. Uh, on the other hand, you have to be understand the context in which the poor live in a society that's still tr- uh, suffering from racism and gender-based discrimination, not to mention economic dislocation. You know, people make decisions under constraint and the poor and minorities face different constraints than wealthy white people in the suburbs. So uh,
0: at the state level, you know, unemployment insurance is something that it functions almost exclusively uh, at the state level. Um, How does that function to keep people from, you know, making gains?
1: Well, one of the things we know is that it's sort of in the middle of unemployment insurance, people are less likely to look for work. Uh, people when they get laid off tend to look for work very assiduously uh, in the first couple of weeks uh, and then they sort of phase down and they they look for work less and less and then as their unemployment insurance is about to run out, they begin to look for work very assiduously once again. There's. Enormous number of studies that show this. The problem is, the longer you're out of work, your skills tend to atrophy, and the less likely you are to get hired in a, in a job that's
0: comparable, or at least in terms of wages, the one you had before. Uh, and this is uh, especially pronounced for men. In as as I understand it from Nick Eberstadt and his his uh, brief, slim volume, uh, Men Without Work, he talks extensively about how men are particularly prone to this falling out of the relevant workforce that is, that is that is sure. in some cases it's pointless for them to to
1: look it's it's minimally educated men particularly men who have dropped out of high school for example face these problems Significantly. It used to be that you could drop out of school, go down to the local factory, get a job that could support your family. That's not the case anymore and that's a tremendous problem for men who have failed to complete school anymore. And we're also entering a society in which women's skills are more in demand. The sort of physical uh, strength is no longer the primature of a of employment. Uh, it's now people skills, uh, which women often seem to do better on. Uh, and we're finding a situation in which women are going to college more, and particularly in a number of fields, uh, they uh, they outpace men.
0: What are the political implications of having gotten this wrong, in your view, for so long, and uh, the opportunity uh, in terms of getting it right, in terms of improving politics writ large?
1: Well, we've basically forced a wider divide over policies that might actually help the poor. Because the left sees the right as victim blaming or victim shaming, uh, they're less likely to be willing to work with the right on constructive solutions. And because the right sees the left as being profligate and simply throwing money at the problem, they're less likely to dive in and, and help as well. And in the end, both sides are simply at the uh, at the mercy of the bureaucracies which support the status quo, whether that's in criminal justice or education or, uh, or the economy.
0: One of the impediments to, and I broadly agree with almost everything you've said here, uh, one of the impediments to actually getting to the kinds of reforms that you're talking about is that to the extent we've created bureaucracies, those bureaucracies have their own interests. And as I've uh, learned from my time in state government and here in Washington, DC, if you're not a part of the solution, there's good money to be made in prolonging the problem.
1: Well, that's right. And as long as we are divided on how to approach poverty, I think it's going to be easier for the people who want the status quo to simply maintain it. Uh, One of my hopes for this book is that it enables people who don't necessarily see eye to eye to reach out and build a broad bipartisan consensus. And there is a, a bipartisan consensus on things like Criminal justice reform, education reform, zoning changes, uh, inclusive economic growth. I mean, my hope is that we can bring people on the left and right together uh, behind some of the ideas in this book. I think this book differs from some of my earlier work on uh, poverty because it's less focused on welfare programs per se. It was relatively easy to blame welfare programs as having the wrong incentives, as spending too much money, too poorly. Uh, not really doing a lot to raise people out of poverty, but didn't really look at the solutions, the type of things that we can do. And I think this book is much more focused on how we can stop the government basically from making people poor.
0: Michael Tanner is author of The Inclusive Economy, How to Bring Wealth to America's Poor, available now at Cato.org. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and when you think about it, ask Alexa to play the Cato Daily Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Gato Podcast.